Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Safety and Health Podcast by SHP. I'm your host, Rihanna Sexton, and I'm the Assistant Editor of SHP. In this episode, we're going to revisit a discussion that was recorded at Safety and Health Expo in May this year and focused on musculoskeletal disorders, or MSD, risk assessment and risk factors in the workplace. The keystone of risk management are the numerous assessments of individual tasks that provide a detailed understanding of where to prioritise risk reductions. But after the paperwork, are we really invested in what this means for our employees? We hear from Matt and Matt. Matt Bertels, a principal ergonomist at HSE, and Matt Powell Howard, head of product development at Nibosh. Both provide insightful tips on how to best identify, mitigate, and manage risk. There's a lot of untruths about risk assessment, about manual handling risk assessment, and we can all get bogged down sometimes in what our clients are demanding or what we read about. But actually, what's most important with risk assessment, as we know, is actually doing something with the findings. And we'll get into that in a moment. But some questions for you then, Matt. Beautiful paperwork, everything looking the business. That's all important. It's very, very important. The first thing to point out is we're not the passport office. And so you are very welcome to write outside the margins, color in, and make up your own paperwork. Take what we've got from the HSC fraternity or from ergonomics and make it fit your processes. You don't have to do things perfectly. You don't have to make everything absolutely spot on like you might do a passport application. It's about having a go. It's about identifying those risk factors. And there's maybe six or seven risk assessment approaches in the UK at the moment. Just to give you an indication, does anybody here use the Mac tool? Manual handling assessment charts? Does anybody here use L23 or Tile? Anybody use anything else like Nash equation or Quake? And so you're all right. Everybody is correct. So the paperwork isn't everything. It's important to understand where you're headed, where you're coming from. So that's captured in policy and procedure. But beyond that, it's about good practice outside of the paperwork. The good stuff happens not on a page, not on an app but in the application of risk mitigation, risk management. So come on, Matt, 2022, everyone must know how to do risk assessments now. Everyone must know how to do manual handling assessments. There's all this free advice and guidance out there. What's the landscape like in practice from your experience within HSE? Well, let's try that one. Who knows how to do a manual handling risk assessment? Oh, that's a bit of a relief, otherwise this would have been a short gig, wouldn't it? We would have been off. Things change. Good practice changes. Expectations change. Not dramatically, but the way that we do assessments has changed very recently. Every change hopefully makes it a bit easier, a little bit better to coordinate and communicate outcomes. And even your tasks change. We've got lots of providers here with lots of very cool solutions. And as you start to introduce those into your work practices, even those of us who know what we're doing and have seen manual handling assessments done for many, many years, the task changes will mean it's worth reassessing. Don't ever assume that the person next to you knows what they're doing either, because I work in a team of 20 human factors engineers, and depending on what day it is, there's maybe two of us on good form. And so it's always worth checking in, especially when it comes to technique, training, and safe operating procedures. Never, never assume. Always say these things out loud. Come on, Matt, detail. Absolute detail. King, 
We want everything in there, everything recorded. Yes, no? We have spent a lot of your taxpayers' money to develop risk assessment techniques, the Mac, the Rap and the Art, that requires you to colour things in, green, amber or red. So the detail is already built into the tools. You don't need to know the evidence base. You will find all the evidence for those tools. You'll find out genuinely why they were money well spent and why they're very clever on our website. So it's your own weekends. You spoil them how you want to. There are eight reports, the shortest of which is 80 pages long. Help yourselves. But that's all the detail out there. In practice, no, you don't need detail. It's about having a really good, earnest try, identifying the high risk factors, and then resolving them. If you resolve the wrong risk factor, you've still made the world a better place. Let the rubber hit the road in those solutions. Don't get too bent on making absolutely perfect, neat and tidy risk assessments. That's not where you become champions. I think it's worth mentioning as well how much free stuff is available as well. Matt's yeah. just mentioned a lot of time, a lot of investment has gone into developing these tools. And although we're here to talk about you know, a product, a training course, qualification that we developed, there's loads of free stuff out there that you can already access and use. Absolutely. So dynamic risk assessments then, Matt. What's your thoughts on them for manual handling risks? They are excellent when they're done very well and nobody does them very well. The level of training, coordination and just knowledge required to do a dynamic risk assessment, to be able to look at a situation or a task and go, yeah, yeah, I know what I'm doing, takes an awful lot of training, an awful lot of investment in you know, giving people the knowledge to be able to do that. And nobody does that very well. So better than no risk assessment, better to carry that uh, awareness with you, but don't count on dynamic risk assessments if it's a, t a task is foreseeable. Yeah. Where it's planned and foreseeable, let's get a pen and paper out or the app or whatever version you've got. Let's do a planned risk assessment. Every risk assessment ideally starts with a cup of coffee, doesn't it, or a tea, depending on your region. Get yourself a brew, get yourself some hobnobs and have a nice considered approach to the risks. Best not to do that when, you, when you're under the influence of delivery pressures, performance pressures, or when your mates are watching. So dynamic assessments can work, but only with a vast amount of upfront investment in training. Otherwise, let's stick to the processes that are captured in the flowcharts. And if you want to wind one of the guys up uh, in a policy unit at HSC, is when dynamic risk assessments are used over and over and over again for yeah. the same risks, because then it's foreseeable, it should be going into your main controls. So I know that used to really upset Ron, who used to work quite closely with Matt. Just some really common risk assessment pitfalls that we know exist. There's a fantastic research report out there. Forget what it's called. I want to say RR91, that's not right. But if you get the chance, have a read through it, and it covers some of these issues. So we've just pulled a few out here, and some of these you will recognize. I'm sure when you've looked at other people's risk assessments, your managers have undertaken some risk assessments for you. But using a risk assessment to justify a decision you've already made is a known pitfall, and we need to get better at that. You know... As Matt said, sit down, talk to the people who are involved, invest that time with them because they'll give you the solutions and raise the issues that we know or may not know exist. So carrying out risk assessment using appropriate good practice, only considering the risk from one activity, that's really key as well with manual handling for obvious reasons. Failure to identify all of the hazards identified and again, 
get those people involved. Some of this is, I appreciate, you'll be very, very familiar with. But talk to the people who are undertaking the activity because they will identify things that you just will not have thought about because people are inventive. And all the accidents I've ever investigated, I'm sure it's the same in here, people have got hurt or there's been near misses because people are just trying to get a job done. They're looking for workarounds. They're not being deliberately obtuse. You know, they're just looking for solutions. I think we've really covered about not involving the team of people in the assessment. And Mac will pick that up a little bit later in a minute. And they're not doing anything with the results of that assessment. You know, people do these amazing risk assessments, manual handling, general risk assessments, whatever it may be. They laminate them. They make them look beautiful. They don't show them to the people who need to see them. They stick them in the bottom drawer or they're on an IT software somewhere. So share the findings, do something with them. And some of you will have seen that the language on, that HC are using about five steps. Five steps doesn't exist anymore. I know that's more general risk assessments. There's still five steps, but they're not talking about five steps. They're talking about managing risks, and it's about the management that we need to really focus in on. As Matt said, you know, back of a fact packet, it doesn't matter. As long as you're doing something with those outcomes, that's really where the impact is. So a little bit then on MSDs and the scale of the problem. So this is from the Labour Force survey. MSDs account for about 30% of all ill health cases, 20% of all working day. You know, these are big numbers. And something that we always need to remember is that there's people behind these, these data and these stats. I have someone who's had back surgery in the past. I had to change the job I was doing. Impacts on me were massive. I was on morphine. You know, I feel really strongly about this stuff because it ruins lives. And mine were all workplace injuries. That's why I ended up in the position I was in. Sometimes we just look at this on screen or however you, you access this information. But there are people behind this. These are really tragic stories behind some of these stats. Not always, but behind them, some of these stats, there are really tragic stories. So 480,000 workers annually within the UK suffer from work-related musculoskeletal disorders. And I would say these data, it's harder to access this data internationally. But from what we've seen, what we can garner, those of you who work for international companies will be very, very familiar in the other locations wherever you're working globally. 9 million working days lost due to musculoskeletal injuries and the overall cost 2 billion quid to GB PLC. I mean, massive amount of money. So as I said there at the bottom, ILO stats, slightly dated, the report similar sort of stats. But all this is all available on the HC website. I'm sure I'll say some of you, November, December time, we often joke about it, Matt, don't we get all excited? We don't get invited to many parties as you expect. So you see these stats come through and you're seeing what's the impact? Are we making any inroads? And it's really interesting reading. So question for you, Matt, really. We've all been on, you know, spent the last two years, Zoom meetings, Zoom meetings, Teams meetings. Even now, I'll sometimes go on a team or a Zoom meeting and I'll see somebody sat on the end of a settee with a laptop on the knee. And I think, surely you must have your, your DSE in place by now. Are we starting to get any feel for impact of the pandemic on MSDs or? Yeah. Has it been a worry for you? About 35% of the workforce are at home of those people. Only about 5% are in a bedroom. Well, 20% are in a bedroom, but 5% in a bedroom without a proper table or so. So 30% of us have been on a kitchen table. Has it been a concern? It's certainly been a lot of effort put into it. This graph is the prevalence rates of musculoskeletal disorders across the whole of the UK for the last 20 years. A couple of things to point out. The graph sort of goes down, doesn't it? And the last little bit of the graph, which is last year's data, from last financial year, it was published in around December last year on our website, it still goes down, thankfully. 
the key concerns we've had were about a, a secondary kind of epidemic of musculoskeletal disorders because of the compromises we're all making in our workstations during what now is becoming hybrid working. What then was just go home and we'll find a way of labelling it later. We haven't had the huge epidemic or increase of prevalence rates of musculoskeletal disorders that we were concerned about. If you narrow this data down, actually, for office workers, there has been an increase in prevalence rates of MSDs. About a 14%, 15% shift or increase in prevalence rates because we've been working on kitchen tables or wherever you've been working. It has had an impact, but not a huge impact. And looking at the UK stats, what also has happened over the last couple of years, things like construction work has reduced. And so we're getting fewer injuries from some sectors, a little bit more from office workers. And so it's actually cancelled each other out somewhat. The line, thankfully, is still going down. It doesn't mean we can be complacent. And as we move into hybrid, the change in message from you know, policy colleagues, their message has changed. With hybrid, it's not about just cope with getting people at home and try and keep them safe. It's all about sustainability. So for those of you who've been providing hardware, software, information, how to set up a, a workstation at home, genuine congratulations. Keep going, and if you're not doing that, that's what we're looking for as we move forwards. Sustainable working at home, whether it's hybrid or longer term, your risk management that you do in the office, we want to try and get that into home now. Please don't go knocking everyone's doors with a clipboard. We can do it online, an awful lot of it online, really very well. So if you've not looked at the latest variants, it's from December, so you've probably seen it. Do go on our website this weekend again and have a look at the latest messaging for hybrid working. Thankfully, because of COVID, we've not seen this huge uprise in musculoskeletal disorder prevalence just yet. Thanks, Matt. We know we have this avalanche of, of, of mental health issues within the workplace, but this really shows actually musculoskeletal is still a big chunk of that time and where typically the injuries are happening. And many of you would have been able to guess those anyway. So MSD is more prevalent with agriculture, forestry, fishing. You look at some of those activities that the work they undertake, construction, human health, social work activities, and you probably would have been able to guess some of those industries anyway, but it's still very manual. And I would say, actually, social distancing-wise, when we're in that period of the pandemic, talking to people who are working within the construction industry, they're having to be quite inventive about how they were working together. And, you know, there were some really nice solutions that people were developing. Yeah. So the flip side of that coin was, I know it was very challenging, but also people really took the opportunity to think about how they were working, how they were undertaking manual handling tasks, and probably improve the workplace as a direct result of that as well. Matt's going to take us through now the dark arts of Mac. Over to you. Thank you very much. So then, on to MSD risk management and how we go about doing our musculoskeletal disorders in a bigger picture. Um, you're probably familiar with all this now, the five steps of, of <coughs> MSD risk management. Identify your higher risk jobs, the ones that people like to avoid. How do we go about identifying those jobs, identifying the high risk activities? Well, there's every chance that you guys spend all your days schmoozing things like this. You might not know what goes on at the coalface anymore. Hopefully not. Those days were hard. So buy yourselves a packet of hobnobs. Other biscuits are available, I'm sure. And sit down with the workforce. Have a chat with them, get a cup of tea on, and ask the workforce, what is it about your job that you don't like doing? 
get that engagement going early doors to understand those high-risk activities. There are other ways of, uh, of identifying them, leading and lagging indicators. We've got some really great MSD questionnaires and surveillance tools. There's lots of stuff out there. Once you've identified the high-risk jobs, the first task is to try and avoid them. Please, please, please don't avoid manual handling or physical activity. Otherwise, the next conference you have to come to for freebies will be the NHS Why Are We All So Fat conference. Because manual handling and musculoskeletal work is health promoting, it's good for you. If you do it well, it stops you getting fat. Stops you getting old, apparently. I don't know, it's not working really, but it's very, very health promoting. So don't avoid the good stuff, but try to avoid the high hazard activities. If you can't avoid them, don't panic. There's no need to put in a claim. We're just duty bound to assess the levels of risk. We'll get into that in just a minute. So we assess hazardous activities. Why do we do that? Well, we all love to colour in, don't we? And the Mac Rappin Art or whatever versions you're using are, are almost as good as Sudoku, but not as good as TikTok. We assess in order to reduce. Identify the key risk factors so we can reduce them. We can eliminate risk. Pretty much all risk can be eliminated. It's just very, very expensive to do that. We've got robots all over the place in this building. Buy a bunch of robots. You'll put yourselves out of business, but at least risk will be eliminated. So it's about finding the balance. What's practicable for you? How much risk can you eliminate? How much risk do you have to live with? And it's fine to live with risk. We have to just acknowledge that we have some tasks that are risky, and we have to manage that risk. And we manage the risk by things like letting people know that they're exposed to risk. Let the workers know what the risk factors are. This is where we get training involved. All too often, especially with manual handling, instead of doing this, we see organizations that have got a sudden peak in bad backs in their organization. Yeah, let's get the trainers in then, shall we? And it's a big problem. There's nothing wrong with manual handling training at all, but it shouldn't replace this system. It should be the last part of this approach. We get the trainers in to mop up residual risk that we couldn't eliminate through changing the activities. We get our safe operating procedures, the trainers can pass that on as well. For people who are exposed to more risk, just ask them more frequently, how are you? A bit more monitoring, just sharpen up those indicators so that, God forbid, they do get an ache or a pain, you can respond quicker. Get them a physio, get them a, a tickle from a, a good medical practitioner to make sure that that discomfort doesn't turn into a disorder. Make sure it doesn't turn into a long time off work. Because the cornerstone of this lot is assessment. Assessment is what we've made a lot, hopefully for you, a lot quicker and a lot easier. And that's kind of what we're going to promote next. You turn into heroes after assessments are done at reduction. That's where the rubber hits the road. That's where you have an impact. That's where if you can chip away at risk, reduce risk, eliminate risk, that's where you're leaving a lasting impression on people's well-being. So assessment is a big part of it. It's not the end of it, though. It's just a roadway to this elimination. Overall, it looks a bit like that. And the reason I'm showing that, don't worry about too, it's built into these risk assessment processes. This is what they do. This is why we're bigging them up. This is why we're highlighting them. So if you're not familiar, for pushing and pulling, we've got the wrap tool. For smaller forces, but more hand-intensive tasks like packaging and end of lines, 
the art tool. A bit trickier to use if you've used it, but well worth the effort. It's one of the smartest ones we've done. And then we've got the granddaddy of them all, the manual handling assessment charts. The Mac tool for lifting, carrying, team handling. And then also, if you're a nerd or you're in logistics or distribution, there's the VMAC, the Variable Frequency Mac tool. The Mac tool is at its best when the loads that you're lifting or carrying are all a similar weight. But sometimes you've got heavy stuff and light stuff. Just to get a better indication as to how much risk that involves, you could use the VMAC. It's just a spreadsheet. It's not that impressive, but it does help you accommodate those variable weights. All of them are freely available now on a, a new format, the online assessment format. Not quite an app, because we've not worked out whose server that should live on, but you can get these things on our website now. Our good friends in TSO Books, if you're here, they've helped us publish this, and that's what we've been doing over COVID, is getting these things up and running and working. So if you've not re-engaged with them for a while, do have a look at these online versions. If you've used the paper versions of these, please don't go and reassess everything just for the fun of it. Your versions that you've used are exactly the same as these, just you use more pens. There's nothing else has changed. There's no need to reassess. We would like you to do less assessment or less time on assessment, not more. We want you to focus on risk mitigation, risk reduction. The assessments, all they do is embody the Mac or the Wrap of the Arts in a different format. You'd have a look on the app or on the online version, click on the buttons as you do with, you know, Sudoku or Candy Crush. It's just in this case, it's less fun, but it does give you a risk assessment format at the end of it. Observe the worst part of the task you're assessing. What's best described in these pictures in the, in the guidance? And it gives you a risk assessment at the end. That risk assessment, you can then email to yourself. I can assure you in HSE, if you use this and you email yourself your risk assessment outcomes, we will never see that. It's taken about two years for us to get MS Teams working. So we are not good enough to look at your emails you send to yourself. We don't care. We're not smart enough. So they are absolutely private to you guys. If you've got a lot of assessments to do, you do these one at a time, an assessment at a time, and email yourself, email yourself. You might love getting lots of uh, emails. Who doesn't? But if you've got lots of assessments to do, a large organization, a national organization, or a multinational organization, it may actually be worth you investing in the premium version. This is a paid-for version of the same, exactly the same approach. It's just with this, you're getting a database that really helps you with your kind of coordination, collating that information, helping you prioritize it and communicate it on larger organizations. So on our website, do have a quick look at that. It may well be worthwhile for you. Go forth, have a go, make as many mistakes as quickly as you can. And uh, thank you for your time. A very interesting message. Paperwork isn't everything. What's most important is taking action and doing something with the findings from your risk management. Work outside the margins, literally and theoretically. Make mistakes albeit quickly, and make it fit your processes. I'd like to thank Matt Bertels and Matt Powell-Howard for their time recording this session, and to you for tuning in and listening. If you are new to the Safety and Health podcast, please do go back and check out our previous episodes. Last time out, we heard from Heather Beach in a panel debate which looked at the COVID-19 pandemic and how it could be argued that the safety profession is now viewed in a more positive light by the general public. 
The panel talked about the opportunities for increasing collaboration across teams and changing the direction of safety in the workplace through genuine staff engagement. If you like what you hear, you can follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or where you get your podcasts from. We are also available on your smart speaker. Simply ask to play the Safety and Health podcast. We'd be really grateful if you could rate us and comment on your chosen platform as that will help us get the shows out to a wider audience. Please do stay tuned in to shbonline.co.uk for the very latest health and safety news, where you can also sign up to our daily e-newsletter. Thank you for listening and see you on the next episode.